Okay. Is everybody here? Yes. Yep. All right. I feel so hesitant now. Like, <laughs> am I by myself? <laughs> You're not alone here, okay. You're not alone. So this is Ken Foster, and this is the City of Dogs podcast, uh, which has been on a little break the past um, month or so, but we are back and recording again and working our way through technical difficulties. And today I'm back with photographer Treyer Scott, who worked with me uh, on the City of Dogs book. And our special guest is Laura Barquette, uh, who is one of the subjects in the book City of Dogs. She also um, is involved in some of my favorite things outside of the dog world, <laughs> even. So um, if we could just maybe have each of you give a little introduction um, of who you are for people who may not yet know, um, and also where you're currently at, because we're still just barely coming out of our quarantine and pandemic lives. Um, and I am in the Hudson Valley right now. But um, Laura, why don't you tell us what's up and where you're calling from? Okay. Hi, um, Laura Barquette. I'm happy to be here. I'm coming to you today from Sag Harbor, my house out here. Got out of the city for a little bit. Um, in addition to being a, a subject in uh, Ken's wonderful book, City of Dogs, I am also affectionately known as the crazy. I'm also involved as a volunteer and a fundraiser uh, with the ASPCA, which is my favorite charity. I'm also a theater producer, Broadway, off-Broadway, although Currently, nothing is really happening much in that realm as everything has been shuttered since the beginning of the pandemic. So I think like everyone else, just trying to hold it together and get through each day and hope that our life will return to some format of normal, you know, whatever that new normal is going to be. So um, but happy to report that my kids and I are safe and healthy. So there's always that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's good to hear all that. Um, and you have a new member of the family. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will get to, I'm sure. Um, but it is strange how sort of we're all, I think, redefining ourselves and what our identities are, because parts of what we do every day are, are have been taken away from us in some way. Um, Treyer, mm -hmm. what have you been up to? So I am Treyer Scott. I am currently hunkered down in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, with my daughter and dogs and occasionally husband. I'm a photographer and author of 11 books, and I was fortunate enough to be the photographer for City of Dogs. Um, you know, I've been doing, I've been working a lot. I've been momming a lot. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I think I certainly am looking forward to everything opening up, particularly Broadway, because as Ken has made fun of me about, I was one of the poor sods that never got to see Hamilton until it came on Disney. And now I'm obsessed with it. Ooh. And my whole family's obsessed with it. So we're, we're dying to go see it live. Uh, so like, I know I else, commented just that she's always busy. ahead of the curve. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Well, you know, I wasn't lucky enough to see it and I will eternally feel sadness <laughs> for that so <laughs> i know when i thought of the three of us getting together for this conversation i was like we could easily just veer immediately off into broadway yes and, definitely. And never get around to talking <laughs> about dogs 
but um but I think we can talk about both actually. So yeah. <laughs> um so you are in the book um sort of representing the upper east side where you live and mm-hmm. um and we have these great pictures of you with your gang of dogs around the neighborhood. Um and I remember you were you were suggested to me by a mutual friend and then um and then we arrived at your house and it turned out that somebody else we knew was there, Lydia, who's also been on the podcast, who uh-huh. is a dog trainer. Uh, and she was there to help with the wrangling and posing of your dogs who were doing yoga poses in the book, which <laughs> completely which impressed us right off the bat. Oh, my um, God. But I also felt it was funny because we could, you know, doing the book, we went into so many different people's lives for an afternoon um and so it was always a little bit intimidating i think uh for us but but you don't want to approach it that way um but with with you i was like i i briefly felt like i i need to be careful about what i say (laughs) and then i realized that i didn't (laughs) no I enjoyed that shoot so much. That was so much fun. So many different things. First of all, it's just a beautiful setting. Your home is lovely. And um, I mean, the tricks that the dogs did were just, (laughs) it blew my mind how, how perfect and uh, just. Well, that's all Lydia. I mean, she taught me, she taught them to, how she taught me how to teach them. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Namaste. So much fun. Yeah. That's Toby's money trick. Namaste. It's just fantastic. Like when I actually saw them go up on their hind legs and, and pose like that, I, I think my heart just like skipped a beat. I couldn't, couldn't believe my luck <laughs> in being able to photograph that. Oh, they're cute. Thank you. And one of the things that we really captured, I think in particularly in your set of photographs was that real bustle of this city, which mm-hmm. of course is mm-hmm. now not quite at all the same. You know, we got quite you. so bustling. Right. In front of the Metropolitan Museum with the mob of people that's always on the stairs there and hailing um, a cab and, you know, um, all these things that that I haven't even been in the city all this time. So I'm like, you know, what's left of that? I'm almost, oh, it is, it's so much altered. It's just, you know, almost unrecognizable. I mean, it's not as bad as it was during the height of the crisis, but it's still... You know, you're, there's no one on there, hardly anyone on the steps. You know, it's empty almost every day. There are some people walking around now, but obviously masked. Um, you know, this the, the sidewalks are by and large pretty empty. You know, now it's like Met, a different, it's like a ghost town. The Met did reopen recently, isn't that true? Okay. Yes. Okay. Oh, really? I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. They did. I mean, obviously everything is different now. They have to, just like every other, you know, business on the planet right now, they have to, they have to limit it to so many people can come in at one time. Everyone has to be wearing a mask. You have to socially distance yourself from someone who's not in your immediate party or family. So it's just, you know, it's just a really strange new world. Yeah. Um, so because we are talking about dogs, (laughs) (laughs) where, where did dogs come into your world initially? Um, and when did you become the dachshund lady? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I grew up with dogs. I got, you know, my first dog I got when I was eight years old. So I've always grown up with dogs. 
you know, in my home and my family. And to me, there's just no, I, I can't imagine my life without them. So that's always just been a, a constant in my life for over the last 40 plus years. Um, the dachshund thing actually happened. It's such a funny story. Um, my husband and I were newly married. We had not had any children yet. And, um, I was looking to adopt a dog because I just felt like the house was empty without it, you know? And so he was uh, in Boston on a business trip and I just went to our local animal shelter that day just to kind of see, you know, who's around. And I grew up with big dogs, you know, Springer Spaniels, Labs, that kind of a thing. I never considered myself a quote unquote small dog person. Uh, but I went, when I went into the shelter that day, I connected with this crazy little short, uh, haired, flat coat, redheaded dachshund who was about three years old, we think, and his name was Buster. And the minute I looked into this dog's eyes, I was able to look him in the eye because the crates were stacked on top of one another. You know how the larger dogs were in the the larger crates with the little ones, they stacked them up. And I was actually reading the cage card. And after I was reading the card, I went to look into the crate and his face was right there and he looked straight into my eyes. And I don't know, I just felt something go through me. And I was like, this is my dog. And it was weird because again, I never had had a dog under, you know, 40 pounds in my whole life. Um, but I just fell in love with him. I brought him home and through Buster, I learned about this breed of dog that I had previously known nothing about. And I just fell in love with them. I mean, they are so funny. They're so freaking smart. They're always kind of one step ahead of you. You know, they're super clever and just funny and just big personalities. And they're all different. You know, the only thing I would say that they have in common as a breed is that they're very smart. They're very clever and they will try to outsmart you. And they're all kind of, they're crazy food hounds, like obsessed with food. But aside from that, I've never had two that were alike. They all have such different temperaments and personalities. And I don't know, I just found them just to be so charming. And the other great thing was that I can travel with them. You know, when you have a larger dog that presents challenges and with a little one, I can just throw them in the back of the car or back when we were flying, I could put them in a bag and stick them under the seat in front of me on the plane. So that was just sort of like an added bonus. And then plus that when they're smaller, you have, you know, it's, the the food the food bills are a little bit lower the vet bills are a little bit lower and just the fact that they're so portable and uh and it's easy to maintain the mess because if they get into something i just throw them in the kitchen sink and that's where i bathe them you know mm. so anyway that's just kind of a very long-winded answer as to how i just fell in love with this breed and i mean i love all dogs honestly my one of my dreams has always been to buy a 10 acre you know, ranch or just a state somewhere out of the city and take in every dog from every local shelter that couldn't find a home, especially seniors. I tend to have a very, very weak spot for seniors. I just, when I see the gray muzzle, I just go completely weak in the knees and I want to take them all. And so that's always like a little fantasy that I had, but, um, but I mean, like, so again, I love all dogs, all breeds without any discrimination, but the, the dachshund, it just became a part of my family and my personality. And then people on my block started saying, Oh, there she is, the crazy dachshund lady. <laughs> and when I yeah. would walk them, you know, because I'm walking four little dogs, I would get people coming up to me on the street and saying, Oh my God, you are so great with them. Are you taking on any new clients? <laughs> because they figured right? I was a dog walker. Yep. <laughs> because who has four dogs, you know? Um, so yeah, but the best thing is I, I think I put this uh in the book, Ken, was that the best one of the greatest gifts about having a dachshund is when you're walking them down the street. Every single day, I see someone look at them and break into a huge grin. And that's a wonderful feeling to be able to make a complete stranger smile. You know, it's just a wonderful, yeah. wonderful feeling. Because they're funny, you know, and they do make people laugh and smile. And yeah. Um, I think dogs have the power to do that in general. It's always wonderful when you're out with your dogs and people look at them and just well, you, start um, beaming. You ha had, and I don't know whether this dog is still 
in the mix with everything that's happened. But sometime after we visited you, a pit bull moved in. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, uh, that is my niece. Uh, we're calling her my niece. Her name is Blue. She's five years old. She was adopted from a shelter in Michigan. She actually belongs uh, to my assistant who moved in with us, which is why Blue now lives with us. So it's really funny to watch Blue as the nanny of this, this gigantic, you know, 70 pound dog who sort of is overseeing all the little ones. Um, and the funny thing is, is that she is the the most gentle and chill uh, of the other ones. And it is really funny to see them together. They're, they're just precious. They all snuggle together. The, it's so sweet. The pictures, of course, I'm a, you know, as m- many people know, I'm a huge Pitbull fan. And, but Me I too. love, I love seeing a Pitbull surrounded by a bunch of completely other dogs, you know? Little dogs, <laughs> yeah. too. So the photographs. And then I was like, like, who is this? Who is this dog that I don't know yet? <laughs> Well, you know, and she's so beautiful because she has a, her name is blue because she has one blue eye, one brown eye. And she really is just breathtaking to look at. You know, I always tease her that um, it looks like she has her eye makeup on because it looks like she's wearing black eyeliner, you know, and lashes. And uh, she just looks like such a girl. You know, it's just so clear. I mean, it's kind of like a Disney character. You're like, I almost just see like her batting her lashes. She's just precious. So <clears throat> how have dogs been helping you and your family? through this strange time we're navigating now. Oh my God, they're keeping us sane. I don't, I don't know honestly what we would have done over these many months without them, because, you know, this has been a really crazy, scary time, especially when you live in the epicenter of this crisis, like we do living in Manhattan, it was terrifying. And just, you know, you're watching the news and watching the numbers every day and the infections and the death toll. And it's just, you're so terrified. And it really, uh, as everyone knows around the, the globe, this has taken such a toll on everyone's psyche. You know, everybody's feeling very sensitive, vulnerable, depressed even. And, but what these wonderful animals do is that no matter, even on our worst day, you know, when we've been cooped up together for three months and, you know, you just, you miss your old life, you miss your old activities and you miss your friends. I mean, I didn't see my mother for like six months, you know, because she lives out of state. And that's just so you feel those feelings of isolation are just are really devastating. But then that every morning, you know, you just, you're, you're making your coffee and then one of them or all of them do something that makes us just break out laughing. And that is just the best gift is that they have the ability to make us burst out laughing every single day, several times a day, even in your worst moment. And, you know, because they don't, for them, they don't really know anything different other than that we're around all the time now, which they actually love. And it's just been you know, a wonderful more of a connecting bonding time with the dogs because we're not going to work. We're not going to school. We're all in the house, but just having them with us has just been such a gift also because they're so comforting and so nurturing and they know everything, you know, this, they know everything that you're feeling and they have a way of comforting us in that unspoken way that no human being has ever been able to do for me. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I keep thinking the same thing. Um, it's like, what if I, didn't have these dogs, although I'm worried because they've, our, my relationship feels it's changed somewhat with all of them because we are together all the time. Yes. Uh, and I worry about how we're going to transition back to what used to be normal life, but now yeah, seems like 
not normal. <laughs> the idea right, of leaving the house really for hard. like eight hours, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause we're all very codependent right now. You know? <laughs> I know one of my dogs who um, used to just wait in my bedroom for me to come home and come to bed now follows me literally every step I take every day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if I sit down, she immediately falls asleep at my feet and I love it. Yes. But um, in addition to thinking like, what will she do when I leave the house for a long time? I'm also like, what am I going to do? Because I'm going to be out in the world and wondering why she's and they're not, not going to be there. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> we want them next to us all the time now. You know, I think that dogs have, have definitely unquestionably uh, benefited from the pandemic more than more than most creatures. I mean, they're they're thrilled. I think that the people are home all the time and adoptions have gone up and fosters have gone up because people are home so much. And and I can also say as a parent of a young child, um, my daughter's an only child and she's been extremely lonely throughout all of this because she hasn't been able to go to school. She really hasn't been mm-hmm. able to see her friends. And her dog has just meant the world to her and and given her a confidant and a friend and someone to cry to when she's sad and she doesn't want to talk to me. And, um, you know, so I would imagine that there are a lot of children all over the country, all over the world who have also, um, had similar experiences with, with their dogs or their pets, because it's been really tough on, on the kids during all of this, having no social interaction. Yep. So can we talk about, um, the the strangeness that I think we all feel about not being able to do the volunteer work that we each have done, but you, you in particular were very active, as we mentioned earlier, with the ASPCA, which, you know, hasn't been something that can happen now, um, yes. <laughs> which must feel incredibly strange. And how do you how do you feel that spot? Or can you? Um, I don't. I don't really think there is a way to fill that. To be honest, I mean, you can distract yourself and you can fill it up with other activities, but volunteering gives you a feeling of. I mean, it's it's so beneficial to, to yourself, at knowing that you're doing good for someone else and not getting paid for it. I mean, there's it's it's almost a very selfish thing in a way. But um, I don't know. It's just that that was just another thing that was added onto this growing pile of what's isolating us. You know, they had to uh, shutter the shelter in Manhattan and no volunteers were allowed in at all, only staff. And so all these dogs, I mean, and cats too, but obviously I don't, um, not obviously maybe too, but I have a terrible cat allergy. So I don't volunteer with the cats. I only work with the dogs. Um, But these animals are used to having literally hundreds of volunteers loving on them every single day. And to go from that to a skeletal staff. I can't imagine how devastating it must have been to the animals in the shelter because they really suffered. I mean, our dogs at home have obviously benefited, but I think the shelter animals had to have been suffering because, as I said, they lost all of that uh, love and care and, and attention that they were getting every day. And it was just devastating. It's just, a, again, another way that we were isolated and separated from one another. And uh, and I felt horrible about it. But, um, but you know, what, what can we do? You know, we're doing the best we can, like everything else. I continue to support the ASPCA financially. I will do anything I can to get the word out there about adoption, about closing, you know, don't patronize pet stores that sell live animals, um, you know, shutting down puppy mills. But it's it's not the same. There is no substitute, you know, for me going in and reading to the at-risk dogs, which is one of my favorite things to do. 
Um, these were dogs that were part of ongoing criminal cases. So you can't interact with them physically only in, in behind the glass because they are, you know, considered property, which is so archaic, but it's true. And so as long as there's an ongoing court case, you know, you can't uh, interact with someone else's property. Um, but that was also one of the most gratifying things was I would come in and date that you have like a little folding stool, like you have for camping and you bring a book or whatever you're reading and you sit down and some of the dogs were so terrified. They would, you know, they would be hiding in the back of their kennel. And then you see each day that one would start creeping out. And then it got to a point where, you know, they're now, when they see me coming in, they go right to the glass and almost like a, a child would sit and listen to you read to them. They, you could see how much they were enjoying it. You know, the, the haunt, the contact, the sound of your voice. And then when you would leave, cause they had to limit the shifts, you know, to 30 minutes to give everyone, you know, an, enough chance to get in there. You watch the dog, like literally like looking after you. No, no, where are you going? It would break my heart a little bit every time I had to leave. But, you know, and that was just one of the most, I mean, of course, it's so much fun to interact with the dogs physically and play with them and, you know, run them through their commands and take them on a walk. But uh, I actually found some of that reading through the glass to be some of the most gratifying because these were the dogs that were the most damaged. Um, but again, it's just, there is no substitute for that. And it's, it's devastating. Um, I mean, the shelter has been opened back up to volunteers now, but it's again, like every other business, it's extremely limited with how many people could be in the building. You have to socially distance, you know, and it's just, um, it's a very strange new reality that we're navigating right now. Yeah. Yeah. I did some, a lot of reading to, dogs after hurricane katrina in new orleans mm. um and they were all in a big giant like circus tent because there was nowhere else to put them uh and it was amazing to see how you know they would initially stay all the way in the back not sure how to interact or whether they wanted to mm -hmm. and then exactly. the longer you reach them the closer they creep up you know yeah and i was so teaching sweet. creative writing at the time so i'd bring my student work <laughs> yeah <laughs> and read it to them. Like, what do you think read of this essay? What do you think of this one? Okay. I think I need to revise this paragraph. What do you think? Well, be again, for me, it was just that I say it's a very selfish thing that I do because I'm so inspired by, by dogs and their capacity to forgive, even when they've known very little else besides cruelty at the hand of another human. And they, I always just find that so inspiring and it helped me to recenter myself. And they, I just, I miss it. You know, I miss them. I miss their, I, I call them my angels and I, I miss my angel time. I call my volunteer time, my angel time. And I miss it, but you know, it'll one day we'll get back there. And, and the other thing that has been devastating was that, you know, we had to cancel the Berg ball this year, uh, which is every April, we have this glittery event, you know, for 400 people at the Plaza hotel. And at that event every year, we raise over a million dollars for the animals. Wow. And I knew it you know, was a lot we, of money, but that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we, we had, we couldn't have that this year. And, and our other big uh, fundraiser that I also co-chair is the humane awards luncheon. And that's every November. Um, and that's at Cipriani. It's a beautiful luncheon where they honor, you know, public servants. And there's always kid of the year and dog of the year. And it's, it's just the most wonderful event. It's actually my favorite event of, of the year of the ASPCA. It's just because it's so inspirational, the stories that you hear. And people just going above and beyond for the animals. And again, that now is going to be done virtually in the fall. And of course, I'm going to support it. I'm a co-chairman. I will do whatever they ask me to do. But it's just, you know, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know how we're going to raise the money we used to raise. And, you know, the, the, the need has not gone down for what shelters need around the country. And, you know, so it's just like, like everything else, it's just, a it's a very, very difficult time financially, socioeconomically. It's just, it's, this pandemic has really just hit us all so hard in so many different ways, but 
my heart breaks the most for the animals because they don't have a voice. Yeah. And I, um, I have done a lot of work with doing outreach to, you know, underserved communities and their pets and helping people keep pets that they, you know, don't have the resources for right now. Um, but that, that I still haven't quite figured out how to do right now because right. we can't, you know, it's a very much a face to face operation, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yes. And also like doing, you know, free vaccines where you get everybody in line in the neighborhood mm -hmm. to wait their yep. turn to get free vaccines. Well, you can't do that now. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, like so many other things, I think I keep thinking like, you know, so many things we've done, whether it's business wise or volunteer wise, they're based on getting as many people as possible into a small space at one time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's hard to sort of unthink that way of thinking, you know, like yep. there must be another way, but I, I'm not sure. That I was going to ask about your kids and college because one just one is did, is your son finished college or is he? No, not yet. He's um he's still in, and Maddie just graduated high school. If you want to call it that, I right. said graduated in air quotes because I was just saying to Trey, it's just was so sad. I feel so sad for all the seniors all around the the country this year, whether it was college or high school, because for you know for my daughter, you know they didn't get a prom. They didn't get a graduation. My daughter was at her school for 13 years. And for her to not be able to finish out with her class and her teachers face-to-face, -face, it was just really devastating for her. Um, and, you know, they had a virtual Zoom graduation, which was so lame. It, it was Honestly, it was even more depressing. I kind of wish they hadn't done it. It just made it, it made it, even, it was even sadder, you know, that we couldn't all be together and, and celebrate the girls that way. And now we're faced with, you know, Maddie was an early decision acceptance at Wesleyan University last December. She found out she got in. And so she has been so excited about this. And this was her dream was to go to this school. And she got in and this is all she wants. And now, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. The, the, the university is going to open in the fall. And the plan is that they're going to bring the kids to campus a couple weeks earlier than they were going to and then send them home at Thanksgiving. And they'll do their final exams online. And they're, they're putting as many kids as possible into single dormitories. But I just don't, I'm still not comfortable because just because they're compressing the semester, I don't see how that protects my daughter from getting COVID. And even though she's a healthy 18 year old, she does have asthma. So that does give her an underlying condition. And, you know, that's the problem with this disease is density. And in a college campus, there's going to be kids together. There's going to be, they're going to be in, there's going to be more than one person in a dorm room. There are going to be parties. They're going to be in classrooms. Yeah. I just don't see how they're going to navigate that. And they're doing this stuff like they're going to take your temperature. I'm like, well, that doesn't really tell you anything. I mean, temperature will tell you if you have a fever right now, but that doesn't tell you if you're, you could be possibly already infected or infecting somebody else if you are non-symptomatic, you know, asymptomatic. 
So, you know, yeah. my, we're trying to navigate that right now. It's a very, really difficult conversation. She is seriously considering deferring a, for a semester and then going in January. Then they're saying January, everything will be back to normal. But I don't see how anything can be back to normal in January because we don't have a vaccine. And then once in January, we're going to be in the midst of cold and flu season. So Ooh. I don't see how that's, yeah. you know, going to help anything. So what I want my daughter to do is I want her to, to defer for an entire year. I think, but she's not ready to hear that yet, you know, and I want this to be a decision that we arrive at together. I mean, obviously I'm her mother. I'm paying the bills. I can you know, bring the hammer down and just say, you're not going, but I don't want to, I don't want to have that kind of a rupture because she's, she works so hard for this. And, um, you know, we, we, it's just something that we're going to have to figure out as, as a family, but it's just a mess, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's just I have a, a shame. friend who's, I have a friend whose daughter is a sophomore at Sarah Lawrence. Um, and first they were told, that there would be no on campus housing for upperclassmen, that it would only be the freshmen that got to stay on campus. Mm -hmm. So they were scrambling around trying to find somewhere to rent, which is not cheap. Yep. <laughs> and then, then they reversed it and said that they were going to give on campus housing, but because she's coming from out of state, she would have to be in quarantine for two weeks. Exactly. And stay in an Airbnb. Like, yep. <laughs> right. yeah, um, yeah, and so my, it's, hard. it's crazy. My daughter's going into fourth grade, it's hard to believe. And we actually, um, we still have no idea what's happening because there, a, a decision still has not been made here. They, they are moving forward, assuming, um, that kids are going to go back in person on August 31st. But mm -hmm. we've been told that we really won't get a final decision on that until about two weeks beforehand. Mm -hmm. So we have no idea whether it's going to be all remote or in. I mean, fortunately, she goes to a very small private school, so they actually are able to distance everybody. But the public schools mm -hmm. here are not. And, um, you know, it's just I think the not knowing at, is is really um, tough. It's really it's tough for the kids. It it's is for the parents. Um you know, I don't know whether I can start working again in earnest because yep. I don't know if she's going to be at school. And, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's been one of the hardest parts of the pandemic in general. I mean, for those wretches, all of us being in a state of limbo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A constant state of limbo. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Very tough. Yep. Yeah. It is difficult. I keep finding new little projects to do. Um, or making myself do projects that I've avoided doing for years. <laughs> right. Um, My house has like, never well, been this organized. This now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, speaking of projects, I did want to talk about your work as a producer. Um, and how did you, how did you, what was the path that brought you to that? Uh, and give us just some of the, um, some of the projects that you've been a part of. Okay, sure. Well, I came to this just from an absolute love of theater. I saw my first Broadway show when I was eight years old. Uh, it was Annie. My father took me to New York to see it. I grew up in Philadelphia, but he would take me to New York every year for a theater trip. And I just fell in love with it. And so I've been a, a huge fan, you know, on, on one side of the stage for, you know, almost my whole life. And in 2016, I had uh, some friends of mine were getting involved with a little show that we were, they were bringing from Washington, D.C. to second stage uh, off Broadway. Actually, this was before 2016. Um, and that little show was called Dear Evan Hansen. 
and they were raising money to try <laughs> to bring this show um, to second stage. And I saw the show in DC and I was completely blown away. And they, then one day my friend just called me and said, I know this isn't really your thing, but I know how much you love that show and how, what it meant to you personally. Would you ever want to get involved? Cause they really need help, you know, getting this last push through. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And, um, so I was an early investor in Dear Evan Hansen and that just opened up this whole other world to me of Broadway on the other side of the curtain, you know, more of the behind the scenes. And after I, I got into it, it was kind of like, I was like, what have I been doing with my life? And why wasn't I ever doing this before now? You know, <laughs> um, it's just such a, I mean, it's just such a perfect fit for me because I love, again, I love the theater. I love musical theater. I love to share a story. And that to me is what theater is about. A lot of people, people, everyone can define it differently, what it means to them. Someone say, oh, it's just entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment, but to me, it's it's sharing a story, and I'm I love to do that, and um, so I know. So that's just kind of kind of just took off from there, and I just met all these amazing people, and then so then I just started, you know, teaming up with you know this producer or that production team, and it just kind of went from one thing to the next, and then before you know it, I don't know, here I am, and it's just um, it's just been the most wonderful, you know, I'm only about four years in now, so I still consider myself to be new to the business. But um, now I'm a member of the Broadway League, and I've just met so many incredible people who are constantly helping to bring my education along. And that's one of the things I love about the community is it's so nurturing. And people are, even though you, you're in competition with one another, people do work together quite collaboratively in spite of that. And, you know, I mean, you know, Chair, you're mentioning Hamilton. I mean, that was um, that was a show. I mean, again, I wasn't doing this at that time, but that, that was a show that completely just rocked my world. You know, it kind of redefined right? what theater oh. could mean for all of us. And I did watch it when it came out on Disney, you know, um, and again, it was so it was fun and thrilling for me because I only ever saw it with the original cast. And it was, you know, such an incredible You're experience. So lucky. Oh, I know. Oh, believe me, I know. <laughs> um, you know, that's the thing. one of the perks as a producer is you get invited to stuff, you know, people will comp you tickets. And it's just like, I feel like and I and I think it's though I never get over it. I never take it for granted at every performance I ever went to of any show. I'd sit there going, Oh my God, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to be here. Oh my God. You know? And I just, I just love it. And uh, I love, because it's so different, you know, theater has got, there's such a magic that happens. And I'm just so in awe of the performers because they have to recreate these roles every night. And people have yep. looked at this negatively, like saying, Oh, it must be so boring to do the same thing over and over again every night. And my response to that is it's never the same. It's different Never. every night, you know, because they have to recreate that. They have to go to that emotional place or that comedic place or, the, or their voice has to be placed or the choreography. And I am just and then, of course, the, the most where the magic happens is the energy that's exchanged between the cast and the audience. And that's the part that just gets my juices flowing. I just love that when that happens. It's just it, it, that's that's the magic of, of theater for me, whether it's Broadway or off Broadway. And again, that's been another part of my life, which has been completely cut off you know, like everybody else, you know, who was involved in theater because of COVID. And I went from having, you know, a dozen projects to now I'm only working on two things. And and even that, we're just trying to develop the hell out of them because, you know, we don't know when we're going to be, be able to be on a stage again to be able to actually do it. And okay. it's, um, you know, it's hard. And my, um, my actor friends, I, I'm so worried for them because I know people that have been, you know, supporting themselves as actors their entire careers. And I don't know how they are going to, you know, pay the rent and feed themselves through the winter. You know, it's, it's terrifying. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, that, that I, I miss it so much. It's the, it's like an ache 
You know, I mean, I miss yeah, the, I miss I, the, I miss being in a theater, but I also miss the collaboration with my peers. You know, I've gone to a number of um, Zoom readings, you know, over the summer and or in the spring, and honestly, it was just it just was depressing. You know, seeing all the yeah. actors in their little silos on screen, and it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's live theater just doesn't <laughs> translate that way. You know, my um, um, yeah, my brother teaches acting at USC and has been trying oh, to wow. figure out. How to, you know, how do you teach acting remotely? Like, you know, like my, yeah. my daughter, because it actually involves online. being in the same space together. Yeah, you can't do it by being on right. your computers independently. Yeah, how do you right? Other. How do you react off of someone if you can't? You know, exactly. Mm-hmm. My daughter's been taking online acting classes, and it's just the most bizarre thing I think I've ever experienced. Because I I grew up performing on stage and singing and acting, and I I can't imagine ever doing this over Zoom and it's it's not working very well yeah. to be honest and we're we're a really big ballet fam family uh my daughter's a dancer and we are obsessed with going to ballets here and in I new love york ballet and too. pretty much anywhere we can and and that's been gone and that's that's just left a huge hole in my life yep. and and hers and and just like actors all performers are are having such a difficult time right now and all of the dancers i mean they're not coming back until 2021 and it's just i don't know how a lot of them are going to stay alive and how a lot of the companies are going to stay alive honestly um through this yeah i grew up um being taken to the theater in new york from small town pennsylvania and then also sitting in the wings of like every summer stock performance at our local summer stock theater and it's that that difference of the audiences from one night to another and just mm-hmm. the the very specific magic that happens at one individual yeah. performance is um amazing and yeah. i didn't realize how much i missed the opportunity to see so much theater uh until i moved back to new york and then became a huge theater addict again um and there's so many ways to, you know, to, I've, you know, I'm an expert at getting really cheap seats you know? you <laughs> because then you can see like whatever you want to see. There's a way to get in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, and so because I became, you know, a habitual theater goer and also having grown up being taken to some of the same theaters, you know, there's something about when you go just into the space of a New York theater mm-hmm. and you remember like everything you ever saw at that one theater in the past, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that's been a a hard spot for me as well. Um, Definitely. And I keep thinking like, will I be like one of the first people that goes rushing into the first theater that opens (laughs) or, or will I be one of those people who's like, wait a minute, maybe I need to hold back a little bit, but I also feel like we need to support whatever does happen and can happen. Yeah. Um, when, when that moment comes, I, I will literally be in the first, first ballet audience that, at least in this state, the first ballet that actually makes it, makes it up on stage. I, I will be there because I want to support. And I also just, I'm, you know, like Laura said, I have this ache. I'm missing it so much. And yes, it's also an experience that my daughter and I have together. It's a beautiful exactly we have together. And mm-hmm. I, I miss that so much. Yeah devastating yeah 
So on a lighter note, Mm -hmm. um, I I thought we could wrap up by hearing about your latest acquisition. (laughs) Millie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've had so many dachshunds, you know, since 1994 when I adopted my first. And, um, you know, different because, you know, they come in different shapes and sizes and colors and hair and all that stff. And I had always wanted a piebald. And just just one never crossed my path before. And um, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, when I lost my my biscuit, who was kind of my soulmate, uh, and I lost him in 2018, that just left a really, really huge hole in our hearts, in our family. You know, my little pack of four was now a trio and they were never quite the same after. And so he, he's always been just so sorely missed over the last two and a half years. Um, and then, you know, the, the gentleman I bought my house in Sag Harbor from actually be, became a friend during the process of that transaction, which for me was unusual. And um, his, um, he and his wife and his family, just the most wonderful, lovely people. And, you know, they relocated to Miami, which is why they sold the house. And uh, Trey, you're like this. His wife is a former ballerina and oh. she, they moved to Miami because she is now the head of the city ballet there. Oh, wow. Um, so, is that crazy? So um, awesome. anyway, we, we always stayed in touch. And uh, one time, uh, George just was kind of checking in. How are you and the children doing? Because, you know, he knows I'm a single mom and stuff like that. And I said, you know, we're doing okay, this and that. And then he says, you know, I'm going to send you a picture. He sent me a picture of these three dachshund puppies. He goes, here, here's a picture of dachshund puppies, like to, you know, brighten your day or something. <laughs> and I look at this picture. I was like, oh, my God, what, what, are these real? Like, or is this, you know? And he said, actually, yeah, they're, they're my sister-in-law had their, her dog was not fixed. She had this litter and, um, I don't know. Then we start just, he starts sending me pictures every day. I'm like, you're killing me. These, these puppies are so cute. And again, I have not had a puppy in 15 years. You know, I'm always adopting the adult dogs. I go for the, as I, as I mentioned, I love the seniors, but I was just so smitten with this one little piebald. And again, I've never had one and she was so cute. And, uh, and then, so then George, eventually he connected me with his sister-in-law because she was trying to find homes for all these dogs because, you know, no one's working and, you know, she can't afford to feed three extra dogs. So I end up taking, and by the way, he ended up finding homes for the other two also, which is just what a lovely gentleman this is. So I end up taking Millie off of her hands. And, uh, so we, we welcomed her into our family in April and her, her name is Millie and she is just the most hilarious uh, zany, funny, again, not having had a puppy in 15 years. Like I forgot how crazy they are. Um, you know, just the, the energy and the, 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 you know, just the, her antics and she's, just, and she's just the sweetest. She's got the most lovely disposition. And then, and then kind of bringing this full circle back to biscuit. Um, when biscuit passed away, he and Shanti, who was my other flat coat and she's, uh, she's about 13 now, uh, they were a bonded pair. And so when biscuit passed, Shanti's never been the same. And, uh, and that, that was almost the hardest part of my morning process of losing biscuit was watching Shanti suffer. That almost, that killed me, you know, on a daily level, watching her suffer. I mean, she's not eating. She doesn't want to play. She's kind of, you know, separating herself from the other two. It was just, it was horrible. Um, but anyway, when Millie came into this house, she beelined for Shanti. And, um, you know, it's been a little bit uh, dodgy with the other two, with Toby and Gita, like they're, they're, they're doing pretty good <laughs> now, but they're doing pretty well right now. But in the beginning, you know, they, uh, Gita and Toby were like, who is this? And they were not being nice to her at all, but they're, they're much better now they're doing great now. But, but the interesting thing was how she and Shanti, there was no 
curve, learning curve. There was no, no, that's not the right word, not learning curve. There was no adjustment. It was like, they already knew each other. And I don't know. So I just, I felt like it was one of those things where the universe aligned. I feel like Biscuit sent this puppy to me and the, mm. and the gentleman that could set this puppy to me, you know, he sold me this house, which I call my happy place. And I just found that, you know, this family has been the source of all wonderful things for me. You know, it's been a retreat for me from the city during this pandemic. I'm so grateful for my little piece of heaven here on the water. And, and then now this new little life force coming into our lives. Um, it just, in, in, in spite of it all, in spite of, it all. I still feel very, very blessed. And that again, comes full circle back around to my dogs. Well said. Now, now I want a puppy. <laughs> no, you don't. That is the last thing you right? need. I know. <laughs> There's no room for a puppy anywhere in my house. But you know, what's so funny when we first started talking about it and I started showing my kids the pictures right away, my daughter goes, mom, we have to take her. And I said, Maddie, this is crazy. I go, we have we got four dogs in the house, right? Actually five. If you count my son's dogs, my son and his girlfriend were also quarantining with us. So I said, we have five dogs. Like, we, do you think a six dog is a good, that's a good idea right now? I think, but actually, you know what? It was the perfect time because we're all home and we yeah. have the time yeah. and attention to put into what it is. And again, it's exhausting. <laughs> She's getting better. She used to wake up. So what happens is my daughter and I are alternating nights of who sleeps with her. Because she, she her schedule was she get up about three three thirty because she have to go tinkle, and then she gets up around five five fifteen, uh, and then she's kind of up for a few hours. So that's kind of a rough night. It's kind of like having a newborn baby. Um, There's and so, so that's much why we, work. We alternate. It's so much work. But now um, she's not getting up at the three a.m. tinkle time. Is now she's outgrown that, and now she's just getting up. But still, anywhere between five fifteen and six fifteen, she's up for the day. Um, and she'll go back down for her nap, just like a baby, but that'll be, you know, eight or nine o'clock after she's been up for a few hours. Um, and she's now five months old and she's just the most precious thing. And just what a wonderful addition to our family. And, and just seeing how Shanti has a companion again, even though Shanti always had the other two, you know what I mean? It was, she was, it was just, there was just something really special about her relationship with this kid. And just seeing how these two are together. And I mean, I, I'll post more pictures. They are so dear together. How they cuddle and how Shanti like mothers her. And it's just, and I feel like uh, Millie is going to keep Shanti young, you know, cause that's just, she's a lunatic. She's a lunatic. She's a lunatic, but she's just uh, <laughs> what, what, it, what a gift, you know, I feel I do. And in spite of it all, I, I feel very blessed. Yeah. The dog <laughs> that follows me everywhere now, uh, now that I'm home all day uh, is 10 years old. But when I first got her, she was a little puppy that I felt compelled to bring home. Um, and my two older dogs were horrified (laughs) (laughs) for for like, like and then, then the (laughs) oldest of them who was like 13 and having mobility issues and everything, he like, like, you know, after he got over the immediate shock, he completely fell in love with her and they were inseparable. And I know that during those last years of his life, when uh, you know, other dogs had left us and things. Having that little dog was exactly what he needed. Mm-hmm. And then, th- and seeing the two of them together was exactly what I needed, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, My puppy so... is now a year old, thankfully, mm-hmm. a, a year and four months, I think. Thank God, because every time we end up with a puppy, I, I, I forget how much work they are. And I, 
tell oh, everyone yeah. we're never getting another puppy. We're never getting another <laughs> puppy. And then you forget, it's just like babies, you forget after a couple of years mm-hmm. how much work they are. And you think, oh, no, that's, that's fine. It's a good idea, you know? And then yeah. they show up and you're like, oh, dear God. And so mine's finally, you know, calming down and she's over a year old. But um, whew, so much work. Worth it. But a lot of work. It so. is. It's a lot of work, but you know what? Millie filled a void that we didn't even know existed Definitely. until she joined our family. And now, you know, she's just a little light. She absolutely is a shining light. I can't imagine our lives without our second dog that came a year ago. And, you know, I, it's, yeah, it's just, she's, she's spectacular and it's, she was worth, she was worth the work. Absolutely. And I don't know what I'd do without my nine. <laughs> be able to leave your house <laughs> oh, my God. okay well on the note of the happiness of dogs um i think that brings us to the end of our discussion um so thank you for joining us and thank you um, for having me and, and hopefully one day we will speak in person yeah. wouldn't that be nice <laughs> in a theater somewhere well, that would be amazing like yeah <laughs> that, that's the ultimate yes okay.